This is the Rumbles Radio Local podcast and uh, we're going to talk now to a former West Yorkshire police officer. He's just left the force after 19 years. Uh, he started out on the beat in Keithley and Ilkley and you might recognise him as well from Police Interceptors on Channel 5 or maybe even Emmerdale. It's Ben Pearson. Hi Ben, welcome to the podcast. Hi pal, how are you? You all right? I'm not too bad. And you've got a, a new book that you've written, uh, your first book. It's called Handcuffed Emotions. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, over the course of the next few minutes. I wanted to find out first about you and why you wanted to be a police officer in the first place. You joined West Yorkshire Police, I think, at 2001. What was it that made you sign up to this job? Um, I've always been uh, one of those children that when I grew up in the early 80s, so to speak, it was, TV were riddled with cop programmes. Yeah, I don't even remember things like Chips, T.G. Hooker, Dempsey and Matepiece. And it, it just sort of like struck a chord with me from being a young age. Um, as I went on, uh, I've always wanted to do something. And I, I don't I don't want to sound cheesy in what I say as in want to make a difference, but I've always just liked helping people. Um, it's just as simple as that. Um, I've never actually thought I were at the um, stages in my life where they'd probably want to accept me, and I've never felt good enough to be able to try. Um, I used to work at a motorcycle dealership and a lot of people that we saw motorbikes to uh, were all police officers and they've all said to me at the time, they think obviously if I put forward that uh, maybe I'd probably get in and when they said maybe it was more of an 80% chance, yeah. Um, I I put my application form in and I just went from interview to carousel uh, and then to physical and then I got a letter saying congratulations you're in and to be honest with you it just blew me away that everything that I'd wanted to do um, at that point in my life I, I thought I'm, I'm like, hey, some, I mean some people want to be astronauts or race car drivers or professional footballers all I wanted to do was just drive a police car and just help people. And a lot of people get into the police because they want kind of power and uh, they it doesn't really work out when, when you go into it thinking I'm going to be telling people what to do, I'm going to be a, an enforcer. As you say, it's more about helping people that you succeed as a police officer. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of naivety when people join and I think when I look at it from outside, there's a, there's a lot of naivety as well when they see people in uniform and that's what I wanted to sort of like break down the fact that People need to look behind the uniform, look at the person behind it. Um, you do get powers given to you and things like that, but how it's changed now, even in the, the 19 years that I were in, the spotlight's massively changed. Uh, everything's body cammed. Um, you've got so much protocol. There's so much red tape to be do it, dealing with. So where people think they can just join and they've got a lot of power, it's, it's not like that at all. So there's a lot of responsibility uh, on what you're doing and the people you're dealing with. And obviously, you know, a, a training programme and things you go through, but then when you got out there on day one on the beat, how was that feeling? Out of my depth. I were a small fish in a really large pond, and I thought at 25 years old, I thought I had some life experience. Um, and it turns out that I just, my eyes just opened massively to things that I just didn't know existed. And I didn't know what crawled around at night time so to speak, and what, what evils come out. And I just didn't expect to have my eyes opened in the way they were. Um, so, yeah, it were a massive culture shock to myself. Um, but we, we did get through it, and it was due to the tutor that I had as well. I had a fantastic tutor constable. I looked after me for 10 weeks, uh, and she, she sort of like put a bit of wool on my back, so to speak, and um, just guided me how I, how I needed to be dealt with in the first 10 weeks. 
And obviously, as you moved on through the force, you got in, involved in some, you know, quite serious crimes in in terms of the arrests that you made and the the operations you were involved with. Yeah, I spent about four years on patrol, nearly five years uh, as a chief constable, and obviously showing people again, helping people that had just joined the police. And then we moved to operational support unit, which is the roads policing unit. Traffic cops is what people like to say. And the amount of jobs that come out and the amount of things that you deal with, you think it's things of movies. And to normal people, you think that these things don't happen or don't exist. Um, But they do and they are out there. And then when you come across them and you're dealing with them and you're arresting these murderers and uh, serial rapists and things like that, it's just bewildering to be dealing with these people. Um, I've always believed that the world was um, a really good place until I got into the police and then you get a bit tainted but when you come out of the police you realise hang on a minute it is a really good place it's just what you're seeing and dealing with you're on the the wrong end of it if that makes sense you've got 24 hours a day badness thrust at you and I think that's a lot of reasons why I did break and why the book was written. And in in terms of those jobs you're doing as a as a traffic hopper, um, you know, people think you know it's it's waving the traffic about and putting cones in place and that kind of stuff. There's a quite a serious side to it in terms of those things that happen in the middle of the night, the fatal crashes, the scraping bodies off the road, the knocking on doors to tell people that a loved one isn't coming home. So yeah, that must be quite emotionally draining as you do those shifts that are quite often antisocial hours and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like the the jobs that we were dealing with, you do, don't get me wrong, you do get the big car, you get the fast car, you drive quick, you, you look the part, and you've got what you, people would say you look at, you've got the boys' toys, so to speak, or girls' toys, if that makes sense. But then when you you're scraping a, a, a child up off of the floor, and then you've got to go home to your own children on a night, and you're smelling of death, and you're trying to break down the differentiation between yourself as a Bobby and yourself as a dad. And you carry an I always treat it as it is an invisible rucksack and then it fills with stones when you go to work and those stones get heavier and heavier. And I think everyone that's listening now that's either a police officer, um, a firefighter or works in paramedics or hospitals know exactly what I mean. Is in they're going home and they're just bringing so much from home to the personal life. Then when Christmas comes and you're working or birthdays coming you're not there and when you do come in you've got the emotional backpack on and you're feeling sad and down it's really really hard to separate your life and as you say that eventually got to breaking point for you when when did you realize that all this was coming to a head i started feeling poorly i think when i say poorly the 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 illness i've got is complex ptsd um and it's built up over a, a, a lot of months but it would get into the back end of May, stroke June time, and I, it really did start affecting me with the tiredness, the the mood swings, the lack of appetite, the crying, and uh, the the night terrors, so to speak. But I wasn't diagnosed, and I didn't know. Um, and it came to a breaking point where I've gone into work, I've asked for help, uh, I've got to a simple job, uh, and I've just the switch has gone, so to speak. But it's it's all led up from years and years and certain things happening with my parents and then certain fatals that have stuck on me um, and then not having the correct guidance or the correct, how can I put it, the arm around you, the loving arm around you um, at that time or support in a way 
Um, it's just hard to get the words out to explain until until you're there looking at it, if that makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, there's a simple job that you go to and they always say there's one little stone that overfills your cup. And it were a simple job and it overfilled the cup and I broke. And I were at a job and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know who I was. I got into the office and I was in tears. I got sent home and I've never been back. Do you think support now in organisations like the police is better than it was 20 years ago because organisations know about this kind of stuff or is there still a problem there? How I've been dealt with myself, um, I think there's still a problem, but I think they are trying. People are trying to, to, to work at it, but I feel it's gone the wrong way. I don't personally think that the deal with, and I mean this with major, major organisations along with the police, they deal with it um, as though you're a number and they deal with it as though you're a simple case of, oh, that gentleman's broke his arm, I can see a cast on his arm uh, and it's healing and he's going to physio. When it's not, when it's mental, it can't be viewed. It's it's hidden away inside you, so you look physically fine. You can act physically fine. They don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. And it's only when it comes out and then people do look at you and they're like, well, hang on, you've gone into the same category as what Billy's got into with his back with his arm and when you might be waiting six weeks for an Nokia health appointment or to see a specialist but in those six weeks there can be the final days when someone decides to end it or commit suicide in a certain way or the, the time limits the time spans it's not picked up how it should be picked up it's not dealt with uh, at the speed it should be dealt with and we're not I'm not asking for special treatment but what people need to understand is your brain's technically your engine that keeps you processing and keeps you going. And once your brain shuts down, that's like your hope, your dreams, um, all your thought process, your rationalisation, everything goes. And once it goes, that's when people end up doing something stupid and don't think about the family, they don't think about the consequences, they just do it. I think there's a lot of learning there for organisations to do. And all I want people to do is understand that uh, and understand that when people are struggling, you need to, I'd never say treat people with kid gloves, but what you need to do is just talk, understand where they're coming from, understand their issues, and then go from there. Now, what people find really hard to do is they find it hard to talk, they find it hard to come out, and that's the main thing. Once you open those floodgates and those barriers, they'll talk, but there's a lot of stigma, and especially in the role and the job that I were doing where it's a proper alpha society, they don't cry, you, you, you don't have any issues, you can go to a fatal and you come back and you say eating your cheese sandwiches, but you know in your head what's happened, but no one will mention it in office. There's a, there's a lot of stigma there. So it's overcoming those barriers and just being able to talk, really. And we'll, we'll, we'll get onto the book in a second, but I suppose the other aspect to this is public perceptions to police officers, which I think have probably changed over that 20-year period that you've been in the police force in that, you know, when we were kids, police officers were respected and you didn't shout abuse at them, you didn't criticise them because they were getting on and doing their job. There's a, there's been a bit of a societal change in attitudes towards not just police officers but emergency service workers across the board. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of emergency service workers now and what we you see it on news all the time, firefighters getting loaded on bonfire night to uh, be abused and assaulted and same with ambulance workers and ambulance staff paramedics. I just think the roles have changed where there's a lot of people feel that the service that not only us do but emergency service are, they're entitled to have. They're entitled for them just to be there any day or night where they can assault you one day and the next day they'll be ringing 999 and asking for that ambulance to come 
because they've, they've cut an artery and it's like, well, you stay, you were assaulting these paramedics. I think social media has opened a lot up because there's a lot of people where they have opened up and people can see that they are only humans wearing a uniform. Uh, and the, there is a lot about that. The, all these people that wear these uniforms and give their lives to look after you and protect you and things, they've all got a family to go home to. They've all got loved ones at home. And I'm the same as you when I were young. Uh, and I remember it to this day. I were in Shippertown Centre on my skateboard uh, and I laughed at something and a police officer thought it was him that were laughing at and it wasn't. And he, he come over and grabbed my collar, so to speak, and I thought, I'm going to get a clip round here. And this were only in mid-80s. But those days when that next thing, you know, an iPhone would be brought out, um, you'd be placed under suspension, you'd be dragged through CPS, next thing you'd be could be grabbing brass rails, so to speak, and all those those days are gone and I think there is a lot of respect that's gone from emergency services now. Uh, and I just hope they can see through the uniforms and see the people behind them. So uh, onto the book, it's called Handcuffed Emotions. Um, why did you decide to write this? When I've been having my therapy and with the therapist and psychiatrist, I struggle, I know I'm talking to you now, but I struggle to get a lot of words out. Um, I'm all right talking to people, but then when it comes to having to deal with things like the fails involving children and stuff like now, now my voice is going a little bit, I, I get very yeah. so like emotional with things. Uh, and I start having the, I have cramps in my chest and things like that. So um, the basics would write things down on paper. So I started writing at the computer. And then as soon as I did, as I was saying earlier on, the floodgates opened and the amount of content that came out on the paper was just bewildering. I spoke to my best friend's father, who was a, a local novelist as well. And he says, you need to be putting this out so people can understand again the, the person behind the uniform and what you go through and struggle. He's put me in contact with a lovely lady called Pat, uh, who's a trained counsellor as well, and she's helped me get it all down on paper. And I just want people to understand that it is all right. And I'm going to say the word different. It is all right to be different. It is all right to struggle, but I'm proud now. I will stand there in front of people. I will stand there and say, look, I've got issues I met someone not so, not so long since, and they, said, they asked me, "Oh, I haven't seen you for a long time. How are you doing? Are you still in police?" And I said, "No, I've got a, I've got a mental illness at the moment, so I'm not in police." And you could see the face frown upon me, and say, "Oh, I'm, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have to get off." But then I literally said, "It's just due to dealing with too many fatals with, with children," um, and you could see the face change, and they went, "Well, do you want to go for a beer and have a chat?" And I thought, hang on a minute, there's there's a lot of respect there for one job I did, but as soon as I said mental health issues, you didn't want to know. Mm. And there's a lot of people that get frowned upon as soon as they come out. Now I'm I'm proud to say I've got issues. I'm proud to say I'm I'm struggling. And I think that's what people need to be doing. They need to be coming out and saying, Look, it's okay, it's okay to talk. And as soon as they talk, people will talk with them. And what's been the reaction from your former colleagues in the job? It's been more or less 90%, 95% positive. Uh, I've had messages from everyone all over the world. Um, Bobby's from all over different countries, uh, special forces, uh, ambulance paramedics, chief constables, NYPD. I've had it from everybody basically saying, you're opening a door here that people can't talk and don't know where to go. So it's been massively, massively positive. There are one or two that have actually just been a bit negative and things, but I'm not letting negativity consume me. I worry about it, things like that. And that's what I've had for 19 years. I'm not doing it and I'm not having it part of my life. But yeah, it's been positive and I'm really, really happy. 
Would you do it again? And would you recommend joining up to be a police officer to, to kids today saying, you know, I'm interested in doing this? If I could go back in time now, I would still join because it's made me who I am as a person. It's made me more understanding. Um, it's built me as a person. It's also broke me, but it built me. It gave me the confidence. It gave me the friends. If I said to people now, do you want to join the police now? I'd say if it wants, if you want to do it and it wants to make you happy and it wants to be a goal of yours, do it. I'd say always follow your dreams. Always go for what's going to make you happy and never, and never look back. My journey's been one of um, sadness, so to speak, and I've struggled, but. There's thousands of people out there that have joined all these services and they'll be in, be in till, till they fully retire. Uh, it's just that, unfortunately, I've had circumstances that have that have altered my way of thinking with things. But, yeah, I'd recommend it. And I've got so many friends that are in ambulance and fire service and I'd say, if you don't want to do that, have a look at the fire service, have a look at this. These are dream jobs for people. These are the jobs that people strive to do. So, yeah, I'd definitely say go for it, but... Be aware of the downsides. I won't say downsides. I just say be aware that things can affect you, and if you do start to struggle again, talk. Yeah, it's all about getting help and the help being available. I suppose. And just finally, we we mentioned at the start. Um, obviously, you've done. You know, been on TV with uh, the Channel Five Police Interceptors and bits of Emmerdale. I, I suppose that provided a. A uh, bit of a, something different during your time in the police as well, didn't it? For you, it, it did. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's. Um, I didn't want to do it. Uh, I got sort of like talked into it, and then after <laughs> it was bizarre. I've always been one of these. I know, no, and we've had series of traffic cops and other series of interceptors, and I've never done it. I've always shied away, and as soon as I started doing it, it just. And what I did find about it and the, the niceness is people, and when I say criminals, the 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 heavy stock that were dealt with, the people that were career criminals, it, rather than shun away from you and, and then obviously mock you, they'd come over and they'd actually shake your hand and talk to you. And I found it really bizarre that because they'd see you on TV and they'd see a different side to you, so the the bad, really bad element, it actually respect you kind of more because they'd understand who you were as a person. And I saw more positivity through being on TV with the uh, the people that we deal or the clientele I'd say that we deal with than negative, if that makes sense. So yeah, it, it has opened a lot of areas up in the police and. It was fun at the time, uh, and like I said, I've made a lot of friends, a lot, a lot of camera crew, um, the producer, directed, everybody had all become friends, and it's it's moved on to another force now, and they only up them the success that we've had. Well, we, we wish you lots of luck uh, with the book, Ben. It's called Handcuffed Emotions, A Police Interceptor's Drive Into Darkness, uh, and it is out to buy now, and hopefully you know there'll be senior officers in police forces around the country reading this and and hearing about your story and thinking we could have done better for this guy and perhaps we'll do better for uh, for police officers in the future in terms of the support we provide yeah that's all that's all i want i just want people not to go through the the heartache that i've gone through um it, it's hard when you, you're at home now and you, you're not providing that service and i just want the bosses the 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 ones that are in power to be able to turn around and say, these colleagues that we've got working for us, these staff, they are not soldiers, they are they're not robots, they are not robocops, so to speak. They are literally human beings, um, and it's my duty to look after them and protect them. Um, I, I just want them to be aware that the damage that's caused to the, to the staff that are going out there. So if it makes one bit of difference in someone's life, that's all I want.